Welcome to another Cohort W podcast episode, bringing you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most exciting and enterprising young warrant officer leaders. Each episode is dedicated to exploring real-life leadership in the warrant officer cohort and tackling the problems faced in large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations. And now, here's your host. In today's episode, my incredibly excellent guest shares some personal and professional experiences as a field artillery warrant officer. Then we will examine how those experiences contribute to meeting doctrinal requirements for field artillery. All Cohort W guests were recommended by senior warrant officers in their branch. Today I am joined by CW3 Aaron Sargent. Thanks so much for your time today, Aaron. Can you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, sir. Uh, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me. This is a, an honor and a pleasure. I'm excited to see the finished product as, as we kind of push through these Cohort W podcast. It's a really interesting initiative. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. So I, I commissioned as a warrant in 2009. Uh, I've served in every echelon from brigade through the army level. Fortunate to have three deployments as a warrant, a W1, W2, and W3, uh, and, and been also lucky enough to serve in two joint billets at the land component and then the joint task force level. Pretty diverse set of opportunities and I've uh, been blessed to really experience a lot of what the Army has to offer. Thank you for sharing, and what a wonderful set of experiences you've had in your career so far. I wish you many more great assignments and experiences. Would you take a few seconds now and please share with the audience your MOS code, MOS title, and a little bit about the MOS, please? Yes, sir. So um, I am a 131 Alpha. Field artillery technician is the actual term. The interesting part about 131s is that the term technician is kind of relative in that we're one of the few kind of has a really wide aperture and we're not necessarily focused on one specific subject matter expertise realm. Um, We're really tasked in supporting field artillery and fires to understand a very large uh, window of skill sets and functions to, to really enable a commander to make decisions both from a field artillery perspective, but also in the targeting realm. And so the position that I'm currently in is I, as I work at the Fire Center of Excellence at the Army Multi-Domain Targeting Center. Our overall job is to inform, train, and enable the operational force, sister services, and multinational partners through subject matter expertise. Um, and just as the title says, multi-domain tasks us with being doctrinally sound and being able to give expertise, recommendations, uh, and think critically and creatively through fires and targeting to enable the future force. Thank you. I appreciate your thoroughness. Can you tell me what your daily work in garrison, the field, training environments and deployment is like that sets the stage for you to reflect and provide that expert guidance later? Day to day, really, we we execute um, as an overall targeting officer. It's really understanding the targeting process and how intelligence and operations can facilitate fires and enabling the maneuver force to execute objectives and to ultimately win in combat operations. Taking recommendations from the intelligence community, using the battle rhythm events and the targeting process to leverage capabilities to be a combat multiplier for the commander and, and provide options to win. In garrison, my current job is executing cross-domain, cross-warfighting function, .mil-pf integration responsibilities uh, for targeting and fire support, and really establishing joint fire standards and requirements um, and then lastly, to, to advocate for Army and Joint Multinational Targeting and Joint Forums. At lower echelons, 
We tend to be a, be a part of battle rhythm events and work at training staffs to contribute to the execution of operations. You know, as we go from individual and collective collective tasks, um, training is is a broad realm from army specific training through joint training, um, and then really we're the we're one of the few MOSs that in garrison it's it's digital sustainment, it's skill sets that through automations, through process, through networking that enable us to set conditions to do our job in the field and deployed. Because ultimately, if you're taking intelligence, making recommendations for a commander to achieve effects on an enemy, that's really the deployed operational aspect of the job. So being a combat arms MOS really puts us, you know, training as we fight in garrison and in a training environment, enhancing warfighters, JWAs, and those training exercises are all that much more important for us. Thank you. I appreciated hearing the relationship between intel supporting fires that then supports maneuver. And I also enjoyed the fact that you shared about your standards and requirements work now that will affect future operations and training. Before I go on, can you tell me more about the term fires? One of the the biggest conversations is uh, lethal and non-lethal effects. And fires is really the synchronization and integration of all of the mechanisms and enablers that, that allow the army to achieve effects on an enemy or adversary. Um, So when we think of um, information-related capabilities, PSYOPs, special technical operations, um, MISO, you know, the intelligence warfighting function, public affairs, all of those things enable us to achieve commander's desired effects to win in combat. And so the synchronization and integration of those things often gets lost because when we think of fires collectively, it's you know, howitzer shooting or rockets shooting at long range and the big guns that the Army brings to bear. And that's, that, that is a portion of the field artillery. Um, however, the synchronization and integration of fires is the collective of lethal and non-lethal effects to achieve uh, an end state. Reflecting on that path from intel to fires to maneuver and the standards and requirements that you're developing in your current mm-hmm. job, can you tell me how your work fits into what your branch does, according to doctrine, to support the warfighting functions? From a 131 Alpha perspective, one of the key elements that we are you know, typically tasked with and historically have been a critical task of uh, the fire's warfighting function is the process of targeting. Just recently, doctrine has changed a little bit that has removed targeting from a critical task of the fire's warfighting function and aligned it with operations in general. So as we align that with operations and, be, and it becomes a commander's process, that inherently brings all of the warfighting functions together. Movement, maneuver, intelligence, fires, sustainment, command and control, and protection are all mechanisms that enable the commander to, to get to his overall end state. As I was talking about the synchronization and, in, and integration of effects, ultimately we're supporting movement and maneuver. So everything we do is to enable the movement maneuver force to reach objectives and and ultimately complete mission accomplishment. Amazing. Information is what drives everything that we do. So through the targeting battle rhythm, targeting working group, and then ultimately the decision boards that are made to enable us to be successful in combat operations, all are driven by the intelligence warfighting function. Fires, obviously... You know, that's where we live. That's the bread and butter of what we do as 131 Alphas. You have to work with sustainment because if you can't shoot, you can't get your rounds, you can't sustain the force, you can't support movement and maneuver. 
and ultimately you're, you're going to lose. Uh, command and control, the, the number one tenet is position yourself on the battlefield where you can command and control your forces most effectively. And so the ability to talk, the ability to understand operations in degraded environments and how we can communicate both digitally and analog to command and control the fight. It's a two-way street. We have to work with the, the mechanisms at the, the higher echelons, but all the way through the tactical level. And then ultimately protection. Protecting the force is a big part of what we do, and it facilitates understanding where we position assets, how we control the battlefield, and then prioritizing what we protect versus what we kill. And so that's a big part of the targeting working group and the synchronization of all of the warfighting functions to enable the commander to win. Thank you for painting the picture of how your work connects doctrinally to the warfighting functions. I appreciate that. In future episodes of Cohort W, guests Andrew Seaman from Military Intelligence and Alicia Sexton from Transportation will explore some of those issues more deeply. Can you now link your work to large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations? Absolutely, sir. And you know, as we start thinking about that transition to large-scale combat operations, it inherently forces us to think multi-domain. We're not going to be singular in how we think, and so the collective effort enables us to win in multi-domain and in multiple spaces on the battlefield. And one of the biggest driving factors right now is an exercise and mechanism called Project Convergence that really synchronizes, and convergence is a big term in the tenets of multi-domain ops, but it enables us to function in large-scale combat operations. So when we think about integrating space, cyber, and effects in and through the electromagnetic spectrum, when we think about emerging organizations and the capability to see deeper shoot deeper. We think about, you know, the penetration and disintegration of adversary anti-access area denial systems, you know, the complex and vast array of targets that are presented in large-scale combat operations are something that for 20 years we really haven't had to think about. So the ability to, to take information and turn it into intelligence through the warfighting function mechanism and understand how we're going to enable ourselves to transition from the competition phase through crisis into conflict and then back to competition again is really a challenging task. It's, it's a daunting task. And ultimately, our ability to compete, penetrate, disintegrate, exploit enemy vulnerabilities, and then transition back to competition keeps us out of that active combat phase as much as possible. And the ability to think through how this the multi-domain efforts affect our ability to compete in large scale when we're talking peer-to-peer -peer adversaries, is critical to our ability to understand their capabilities and then counteract what they're doing to win. So from, from at least our perspective at the Multi-Domain Targeting Center and the transition from airland battle to counterinsurgency to now large-scale combat operations with peer or near-peer adversaries, it's a very different fight. And so we have to be focused on, on all of the domains, what we can offer, all the tools we bring to the table, all the tools the enemy brings to the table, and how we maximize our success through those domains to win in the large-scale combat fund. I appreciate your critical and creative reflection on your practical work and how that satisfies doctrinal requirements such as the warfighting functions and large-scale combat operations, and how that begins to address the conceptual challenges that we have with multi-domain operations. Spinning this up, I'm reminded of a quote I recently saw from General Murray from Army Futures Command that says that the Army must adapt and modernize to maintain overmatch in all domains. 
To achieve overmatch in all domains, the Army's senior leaders have to break that big problem down into smaller problems. To solve those smaller problems, those Army senior leaders rely, in part, on the expertise and wisdom of problem solvers like Aaron Sargent. Chief, thank you for your time today. Before you go, what have you learned or what would you like to share with the audience about your work's importance as part of the Army's mission? I was having a conversation with, with some co-workers today about just that. And it's interesting when you think about what the king of battle, field artillery, and fires community bring to the fight. I think all the way back to basic training with some of the cadences, you know, what's the sound of artillery? It's rooted in history and lineage. You find a war, you're going to find some impact that the field artillery and the fires community have had. And if you take that away, you're essentially handcuffing the world's greatest army and the ability to shape deep, set conditions and enable, you know, the maneuver force in our infantry to win. And I, and I would be hard pressed to think that we could win a war without the field artillery in, in our branch. It's just such a, a combat multiplier. It brings fear to an enemy. Being here at Fort Sill and hearing the amount of rounds that get shot down range every day in the training at every echelon is, you know, knowing that we're making an impact and we're contributing to the safety of the people that live in this great country is pretty impressive. Those are great insights. Thank you for sharing. And I'm also glad to hear that you have a group of peers that you can reflect on your work with. I work at the Warren Officer Career College, and today we just graduated Warren Officer Candidate School Class 21-08. What would you say to a Warren Officer who just graduated from Warren Officer Candidate School about the future of your branch? It's a great time when we think about the amount of impact that Warren Officers can have on our force. There's no better cohort that has the understanding, the credibility, the focus and impact in, in our individual areas. I would tell new candidates, you know, to look inside and have a little bit of that intestinal fortitude, a little bit of self-motivation, some pride in what we do, and know that, you know, every day a W-2, a W-3, a W-4 is going to stand up and brief a 2-3 and 4-star general, and credibility is there. And we're going to have those conversations on intellectual levels. We're going to create effective and efficient mechanisms to succeed. And, and ultimately, the warrant officer is, is unlike any other service in the world and unlike any other branch. And we really hold the key to set the standard and enable the force to win in the future. Thank you for your time today and helping explain how your work and the work of other 131 Alphas contributes to meeting the doctrinal requirements for field artillery and how that work contributes to large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, Aaron. And sir, I, I truly appreciate it. And the last little plug to doctrine that I'll leave is, you know, we say you can't build a house on stilts because it won't last long. And so, you know, I kind of equate that analogy. The doctrine is our foundation. As long as we rely on it, our house is going to be pretty sturdy. TTPs and, you know, ways to do business will allow us to deviate a little bit, but it's a solid foundation that, that holds us strong. So I, I appreciate that, sir. Great. Thanks so much, Aaron. Have a great day. All right. You too, sir. On behalf of the Warrant Officer Historical Foundation, thank you to today's guest for your insights on the future of warfare and the importance of the Warrant Officer to that fight. Special thanks to our theme music composer, Josh DiStefano. Visit joshdiStefano.com to hear more of his works.